0: Welcome to this special edition of Awaken to Grace. Today we are answering questions from a series called Ask Anything. We invited people to submit anonymous questions that they would like to have a biblical answer to. And in this Sunday morning session, I have invited two of our pastors, Pastor Glenn Stewart and Pastor Caleb Stone, to join me in answering these questions. You know, this is part of a greater series called Ask Anything that we've created several podcasts concerning. So if you enjoyed today's question and answers, then I encourage you to go to our podcast channel and check out the other sessions on Ask Anything. Well, let's go to our panel discussion uh, on this Sunday morning as we are answering live these great questions in this series called Ask Anything. Let's jump right into it. What's question number
1: one? Question number one is, how do you make sense of senseless things like the shooting in Texas?
0: Well, what a tragedy that we saw this week. The hearts of our nation is broken. It's, it's, uh, I've been deeply grieved the whole week. You know, I, I think the danger for our culture right now is we are trying to find villains in this tragedy. We're trying to find blame. We're trying to... uh, I'm very, very disappointed in the way the media is handling this tragedy. I think there's a lot of things we don't know, and there are many things we won't know for a while. And um, it's very troublesome. I think as Christians, you know, we have what we call a biblical worldview. That's how we perceive. That's how we look at the world and the events of the world. It's a biblical worldview. In my biblical worldview, the way that I see this, Jesus came to give life, right? But why has Satan come? Anybody know what the scriptures say? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. This awful tragedy has the fingerprints of Satan all over it. It's the enemy that has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And I believe God's heart breaks along with ours. You know, if I could say anything to the parents who have lost children, the grandparents who have lost children, what I would say to them, God knows well what it is to lose a son. He knows well. He knows well. He knows well. So we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's dominated by sin. We live in a, what what does the scripture say? Satan is the what of this world? The God of this world. That's why there is another world to come, my friends. That's why there is a kingdom of God to come. That's why there is a millennial kingdom where these things will never be Again, Amen? So how do you make sense of it? Well, you have to understand spiritual warfare. You have to have a discerning spirit about you to say the Bible teaches light and the Bible teaches darkness. Jesus came to give life. Satan comes to steal. There is a battle of the ages going on right now. And we saw it, much of it. Oh. This past week so
2: yeah so um how do we as a community of believers uh even with this the incident in texas but also tragedy here that happens that we don't really understand uh romans twelve fifteen says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep sometimes we don't understand sometimes we can't make sense of what's happening what we can do and what is highly effective is just weeping with someone who's weeping and rejoicing with someone who's rejoicing. We are called to be supporters and sit there. You know, some of the most powerful moments that I've been a part of a ministry is when a family is hurting, is not saying a word, just sitting with them on the couch and letting them cry, just showing that we support them. So sometimes we don't make sense of it. But the Bible says we must weep with those who weep, and that could be just as effective as having the right things to say or the right knowledge of what's happening.
1: Amen. Question two. If God did not create evil, why does he allow it? I
0: figured people would ask me what my favorite ice cream was, is what I was kind of... of... Hoping for.
2: Apparently, that's butter pecan with no pecans. No, I don't like
0: pecan. I love butter pecan, <laughs> but no pecans, please.
2: Fun fact. You know, Chad, we, we, we talked about this this week, and you, uh, you established Ephesians 1.4, which says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love.
0: So one of the greatest Bible studies you can ever run down for yourself. is the biblical phrase, before the foundations of the world. That's an amazing study. When you realize all of that was in the heart of God, all that was in the mind of God, all that was in the plan of God, before the world ever existed, then you'll begin to understand. Sin Satan, evil, these things, God was not just reactionary like, oh, oh, no, oh, what are we going to do? One of my favorite old gospel songs was Had It Not Been. That's a beautiful song. But now that I understand more biblically, I don't like the lyrics of it. The lyric says, just suppose, (laughs) well, the Bible don't tell us to suppose, that God searched Through all of heaven, trying to find one who was willing. No, that's not what happened. The Bible says that it was predestined. Ephesians, uh, no, I'm sorry, Acts 4, 27. It was predestined before time that Christ would die as the Lamb of God. Before sin ever came into the world. Before Satan was ever kicked out of heaven. Before humanity was ever created. The cross was always plan A. It was never plan B. God has never had a backup plan. God has never needed a backup plan. So what does it mean that he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world were ever laid? You know what that means? That means that God knew all things before sin ever came. And you go on to read Ephesians. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Read the whole thing. You and I are going to display the glory of God forever and ever and ever. So why does God allow evil on the earth? Because, friends, the triumph of evil, the embracing of God over sin is going to glorify God for all of eternity, for all of eternity. God does have a master plan, and he's working it even now in our day.
2: Do you have anything you want to add, Caleb? No.
1: (laughs) I'll leave the smart talk to these two.
0: I'm thankful. I am thankful for Pastor Caleb and Pastor Glenn helping me on this. I was going to introduce this as I'm Daryl. This is my brother, Daryl, and this is my other brother, Daryl.
2: That's great. Um, You know, I'm not a big science guru. I think it's interesting, but I don't study it enough. But what I did find is when you study things, you know, most people will say there's no such thing as cold, right? It's the absence of heat. There's no such thing as darkness. It's the absence of light. So we translate that in my mind to there's no such thing as evil. It's this absence of following God. So when we, the absence of following God, the absence of being in darkness, or the absence of light, I'm sorry, is darkness, is sin. So it's not necessary. evil does exist. But that's because we, have, we as a society, even back to Adam and Eve, have stopped following the commandments of God. In order to get back to that, we must retrace the way we think, change our mind.
0: Yeah. But, it, but again, that's going to be the purpose of the millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. When you understand the millennial kingdom, when you understand there are 1,800 scriptures in our Bible that all point to the coming millennial kingdom, that's when you understand there will be no more evil. God will wipe these things away. Behold, He will make, what does He say? All things new. Amen? And there'll never be another school shooting. Glory to God. Amen? And we'll never suffer tragedy again. That's why, we were talking earlier, that's why in Revelation 5, when John saw the throne of God and no one was worthy to take the scroll. Do you remember that in our Revelation series? The Bible says that John wept. That Greek there is convulsed. Why did he weep uncontrollably? Because no one was worthy to bring in the millennial kingdom until who stepped forward? The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And there he stood as a lamb slain And only he, remember we taught the kinsman redeemer, going back to Ruth and Boaz, how he was fully man and he was fully God. And because he was fully man, Emmanuel, God with us, now he became the kinsman redeemer. Now he can take the scroll, the inheritance of the earth, the human history, and now he can bring in the millennial kingdom. Friends, we don't live for this world. We live for the age to come.
1: Amen.
2: Amen. Yeah, that's really
1: good. There is uh, one thing I do uh I would like to add. Go ahead, Daryl. Um, <laughs> thank you, Daryl. <laughs> uh, in, uh, in Romans 3 5, I believe it says, uh our righteous our unrighteousness, I'm sorry, serves to display his righteousness. Amen. Yeah. And uh, I, it's an encouragement to me when I think of any unrighteousness that I've done in my life, any evil I've done in my life, and I look at that cross, and I see the righteousness of God on display. I see His goodness and His mercy. And I I tend to beat myself up a lot for the things that I've done in in my past, and my own unrighteousness, any failures I have today. But then I'm reminded of God's grace. I'm reminded of His goodness And I remember his goodness was displayed because of my my unrighteousness. So ultimately, our unrighteousness, any evil in our own lives, it serves the same purpose as just about everything else in all of creation, to to glorify the name of the Lord Almighty. That's good. Amen. Question number three. According to Matthew 5.11, if we are blessed even in times of persecution and suffering, how do we rejoice with an anguished heart?
2: Yeah, so that's a question that's... I think we've all been there. Uh, but Pastor Chad, you wanted to read Romans eight eighteen for this. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us.
0: So notice, you know, when you look at Matthew five eleven. A lot of times we suffer because of our own dumb choices, right? Amen. But Jesus said, when you suffer for my name's sake. That's the difference. So if you're being persecuted or if you're suffering trials or suffering whatever, for the sake of Jesus, this is is what I want you to know based on the Bible. Suffering is not meaningless. There is a point to why you suffer. And according to Romans 8.18, Paul says, I do not consider that the present sufferings, what I face in this body, what I face in this life, what I face in these circumstances, it's not even worth comparing to the weight of eternal glory that awaits us. You know, Peter encouraged the saints in 1 Peter 1 to suffer well. Why? Because, friends, when you look at eternity, when you look at all that heaven holds and what eternity is going to be, you and I will never suffer again, ever, never. And do you know what that means? That means however many days, however many years that God gives you on this earth, you only have so many days. Think about this. You only have so many days to glorify God in the most unique way you will ever glorify God for the rest of eternity, and that's to suffer well. And when you suffer well, friends, it is gonna be a weight of glory. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians, I believe, perhaps chapter four, Paul said he compared his afflictions. He said they are light and they are momentary compared to eternity. So how do you do it with an anguished heart? How do you rejoice even in the midst of sufferings? Paul says, I consider, I calculate it up. I ponder these things. I think about these things. Know what is ahead of me is far greater than what I'm in right now. And I'm gonna look to the future and I'm gonna look to what God is preparing me for and what God is preparing for me. And I tell you, my friend." my brother and my sister, that will help that anguished heart. Amen? Amen. The only thing I would add is Romans 5
2: says, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I've seen people, you see it all the time, people who grow the most personally, spiritually, tend to do it when they're in the valley, tend to do it in their sufferings. Because the Bible says suffering produces, and then it lists endurance and character and hope. And it does not put us to shame because God's love. So when you're suffering, remember God's love produces these things and use it as a moment of growth and seeing where God can take you to the next level.
1: Amen. Question four, what does the Bible say about money specifically in marriage?
0: Well, my first thought goes to Hebrews chapter 13. I think um, Paul does. Uh, well, I say Paul. I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but we're not certain who wrote who the original author was, but many think it's Paul. I think Hebrews 13, uh, what verse is it, Glenn, 5? It's 4 through 6. 4 through 6. Go ahead and read that for me.
2: It says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral.
0: Paul's right there. Isn't that a word for our culture today? Amen. Let marriage be held in what? Honor. Let the marriage bed be what? undefiled. Undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral. Boy, that's a word for our culture. But now listen to what he says specifically to marriage.
2: In verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can
0: man do to me? What great advice for marriages. Keep your life Free from the love of money. You know, people misquote scripture all the time. And don't they say money is the root of all evil? That's not what the scriptures say. The love of money is the root of all evil. Keep your life free from the love of money. So I would say if you are a married couple that you constantly, there's always tension in the relationship over money. There's always frustrations. There's always disagreements. Well, I would say, first of all, seek some pastoral counseling. There's help there. There's there's compromise there. It helps when you sit down with someone on the outside looking in. But I would say, follow the biblical advice. Keep your life free from the love of money. Jesus knows it takes money to survive, right? Right? That's why the Bible overwhelmingly has more references to money and possessions, like 2,100 references in the Bible to money and possessions, whereas there's like 500 to faith, 500 to heaven. Why? Because God understands it takes money to survive. I think it was Zig Ziglar who said uh, money is a lot like oxygen. It's not everything, but you got to have it to live. <laughs> And that's true. But if it's causing tension, if it's causing fights, if it's causing conflict, go beyond yourselves. Seek some help. Get some pastoral counseling. But I would say to the marriage, number one, keep your life free from the love of money. And when you see God as your ultimate fulfillment and you see God as your ultimate satisfaction, you see God as your ultimate need uh, supplier, well, then as a couple, you're not going to, you know, money's not going to be, it's going to fall into the right priority list, but God's going to be number one. Why? Because He will never leave you, and He'll never forsake you.
1: Amen. Next question. What does the Bible say about an unmarried man and woman living in the same house, but not having intimate relations?
2: I want to say this before you get into this question. I read a study on this. 41% of Christians polled. Now, I don't know how many were polled, but 41% of Christians approve this idea because of cost of rent and see if they are compatible with the person before they marry them. 41% of Christians. Think about that as we answer this question.
0: So basically, they're test driving
2: it. Basically, yes. (laughs)
0: Well, you know, I, so I have sat down with many couples in the past who have come to our church, and they live together. They're not married. People have all kinds of different ideas about this. Some people go, uh, eh, it's just a piece of paper. What does it matter? And, oh, God knows our hearts. God knows we're committed to each other. Now, that's not the case, apparently, in this question. In this question, I think it's saying... There's not intimacy in the relationship. So what would the Bible say concerning us living together? So let me address it as two separate things because people are in different situations. The couples who live together and just simply don't want to get married. I would ask you to reconsider who created and who instituted the idea of marriage and family to even begin with. You're you're not following the right blueprints. And I'll tell you this, one of my greatest joys as a pastor, and I cannot tell you how many times it has happened. I wish I had kept count through all of the years. When couples come and they live together, they're not married, and then they come to the realization, you know what? We want to do things God's way. We don't want to do things our way. We want to do it God's way. And I have had the high joy and the high privilege of marrying couple after couple after couple. I mean, I tell people I'm better with funerals than marriage. But anyways, you know, I love doing weddings. So anyways, but um, that's what I would say to that couple. Now, to the couple that submitted this, which they're anonymous, I don't know who it was. (coughs) I would say that scripture teaches us to abstain from all appearance of evil. And I realize that we can say, well, you know, we have our reasons and, you know, there's no intimacy going on and God knows our hearts and all that. But friends, one of the greatest callings of a believer, and I want you to think about this, one of the greatest callings we have as Christ followers is to represent Jesus well. And to neighbors and to co-workers, and to others in the community. I'm not saying that it's pride and you look like you got it all together. Nobody has it all together. But there's a difference between saying, God, I want to represent you well to others. I want to be a Christ follower that others, uh, that I, I flee from sin. I, I abstain from that form or that appearance of evil. So, you know, I would I would sit down with this couple who... Uh, and, And, you know, whoever submitted that, whether in the building or watching online, I appreciate your heart to ask the question, what does the Bible say? See, that tells me something's on your mind there. You didn't ask, what's the preacher think? You didn't ask, what's the neighbors think? You didn't ask what other Christians think or the church thinks. No, see, friend, you're on the right track. You said, what's the scriptures say? And my friends, the scripture says, abstain, flee all appearance of evil. Just don't even welcome that into your life.
2: Yeah, that scripture, uh, abstain from the appearance of evil, is first Thessalonians 5, uh, 22. I want to focus on First Corinthians six, eighteen, that says, flee from sexual immorality. So when you look at the Bible... And when you talk about Jesus being tempted in Matthew chapter 4, talk about all the sins. The Bible says resist, stand firm, stand tall, except for sexual immorality. And he says flee from it. Because God knows that we were designed for that, that desire. And if, and if we're living in that household, there's nowhere to flee to. And we must flee run. That means literally turn your back and run away from that, posi- from that situation. So I encourage you, yes, the Bible says resist the devil, stand firm in every other situation but sexual immorality. Now, there's nothing going on here, apparently, in this question, but being in the house with that, that temptation could show up very, very quickly. So my encouragement is just flee from it and try to avoid that at any situation.
1: Amen. Next question. Is an unbeliever's final destination truly a place of eternal torment? What does the Bible say about this?
0: So, unfortunately, (coughs) the answer is yes. You know, as Glenn gets ready to read the scripture, uh, I want you to hear from my heart on this. I don't believe in a literal, in a physical hell. Hell. Because I am drawn to the idea. I'm not. I'm actually repelled by it. I'm not, I don't believe in a physical place of torment called hell because I love that doctrine. I don't. So why do I believe it? Because it's what the Bible teaches. Because it's what Christ taught. We dive into this subject much deeper in the podcast sessions of Ask Anything, so you can learn more there. But Glenn, read, read the scripture that we have for this.
2: Yeah, so just a reference for you all to, to look at. I'm not going to read it, but Luke 16, 22 and 23, that's actually where the man, he does go to hell um, immediately after he dies. But in Revelation 20, uh, verse 10, it says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. And sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were. And they will be be tormented uh, day and night forever and ever.
0: So understand, the Bible teaches eternity. And why does the Bible teach eternity? Because God is eternal. And there isn't anything on this planet, there isn't anything in this universe that is eternal. Except you and I, who are created in the image of God. And the reason why your soul, your conscious state, your soul will live forever. And if you reject Christ, your soul will live forever in a place called the lake of fire. Revelation 20. The reason why is because you are an eternal being. Because you're created in the image of God. Your flesh will die, but your soul will never die. And understand this, why was hell created? It was created for Satan and his demons. Why? Again, we go into all of this on the podcast, so listen to that. I won't take our time now to go into it. But just understand, when humanity rejects Jesus, we align ourselves with the rebellion of Satan and the demons. And humanity will share the same fate as Satan and his demons.
1: Um, One thing I'd like to add to this real quick, Um, I personally believe that this is uh, the most important question that we had. I think many preachers in modern America sort of water down the gospel these days, and they avoid teaching about hell. They avoid acknowledging it as a very real place. Reality is, it is a very real place, which is why... The most important thing that the church can do the most important work that the church has is not to craft perfect sermons it's not to play the best music it's to make disciples it is to teach the gospel to as many people as we possibly can because most people they are on that path to destruction because that path is very broad and narrow is the path to salvation So I think there is an urgency that has to come with answering this question. Not only must we acknowledge that hell is a very real place, we must do something about it. We have to get in the trenches. We have to minister to people as much as we possibly can because Jesus realized that that's exactly where most people are headed. And that's why he spoke about hell so much when he was on this earth, because he wants people to realize that there's one path to salvation and that's through christ
2: that's good it's really good
1: next question what about all the people who have never heard about jesus or haven't heard anything beyond the existence of a religion called christianity does god intentionally deny access to salvation
2: so romans chapter one uh says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse.
0: It's a sobering statement. So that all, think about that, all of humanity, Every person created in the very image of God ultimately is without excuse. If you have someone in your life that you fear that they're going to face an eternal torment of hell, if you pray for missionaries who are on the front lines of people who've never heard of Jesus, friends, this is exactly why we're translating 1 John every single month. Amen? Amen. Because there are many who have not heard. And how will God deal with that? I think God knows well how to deal with that. Now, ultimately, they're going to be without excuse. Why? Because even nature itself teaches the existence of God. God's attributes teaches that there is an existence of God. But also, I want you to think about this. The greatest ally that we have for the gospel's sake is, you know what? the conscience of men and women. Now, you can get to a point, Paul teaches in Romans, that the conscience is seared. It's beyond repair. It's totally depraved. It's, it's, the Bible says that God eventually will turn people over to a reprobate mind. Oh, what a scary proposition. But the people that you're praying for, the people you're sharing Jesus with, the people that you long to see saved, Don't forget the greatest ally to the gospel you have is their conscience. Begin to pray that God will work within their conscience. Pray that God will speak to them within their conscience that they would be spared this. So again, as hard of an answer as it is, and I can remember being a little boy. Oh, I remember being so little and sitting in my Sunday school class and the class dismissing. But they had a little school bell that literally rang just like a school bell. And I remember waiting till everybody went out the room and I walked up to the teacher real nervous and I remember asking that same question. What about people who've never heard about Jesus? What happens to them? And I remember that Sunday school teacher lovingly told me, Romans 1, all of humanity will be without excuse. Now what degree and how God sorts all, how, what all God does? I, let, well, let me just share this with you and then we'll move on. Look it up. Look this up. Do you realize that right now in the Middle East, in the heart of Muslim lands, people are having dreams where Jesus is coming to them in the dream and saying, I am the Son of God, follow me. And conversion after conversion. And they're becoming preachers, and they're planting churches. What's the point? You know what Jesus said in John, I think, 17? Jesus said, I will not lose one that the Father has given me. Amen? Amen. God will convert his people. But what, what is our responsibility? To take the gospel, to translate 1 John, to spread this gospel as far and wide as we possibly can. How God does it all in the end, God will know that. But what the Bible tells us Humanity will be without any
1: excuse. Next question. Why does my head sometimes question the existence of God, and do other believers do that?
0: Yes. <laughs> you <laughs> yes. are 100% normal. 100%. Yeah, Pastor what... Josh doesn't believe in God at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: we, um, so... As we were talking about this, one of my favorite disciples, because I relate to him so much, is Thomas. You know, after Jesus died, they're in this upper room, and it's in John, John chapter twenty. They're in this upper room, and they're, the doors are locked. And Thomas is like, "Look, if Jesus really resurrected, I gotta put my hands into His side and His hands. Like, I have to feel it myself." And uh, if I'm, my memory, Jesus like walks through the wall. He's like, "Here." I feel like I'm that. Like we feel like we, when we, we spend time with Jesus, we, we understand his teaching. We try to understand all of his teachings. But sometimes doubt does come in. And that is where I feel being here around people who have the same beliefs, had the same ideas, having those tough conversations with them. Those, that's where the doubt is removed and faith begins to grow. That's just my... Self-help, Bible-teaching knowledge there.
0: And if you're someone that you struggle with doubt, remember, remember this. Faith only comes one way. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Get into the Word. Read the Gospel of John. Read the Book of Romans. Read 1 John. Get into the the word of God. And then you'll find as faith grows, which just going to push all that doubt and all that confusion right out of you. Amen?
1: Amen? Next question. How do you know for sure when God is speaking to you?
0: That's such a good question. It's a great question. What scripture do we have? I feel like we, get,
2: we did middle school and high school asking. anything. I feel like we got the exact yeah. same question. We did. Which is really good. We have a ton of scripture for this one. So I'm going to say them all really quick if you want to write them down, and then I'm going to read one specifically for Pastor Chad. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, um, that's basically asking to line up with God's will for sanctification. 1 uh, John 2.27, uh, there's Proverbs 15.22, having a council of people. But the one I want to read to you, Pastor, is John 10.27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me.
0: So how do you know something is God telling you and it's just your own emotions or it's your own desires? That can be difficult to sometimes figure out. <clears throat> but here's, here's what I think. Uh, 1 John 2, 27. This is something that helps me, a world. <clears throat> the Bible says that you have received an anointing from the Holy Spirit. Now that's not pastors. That's not... Navy SEAL Christians who are elites and no one will ever be like them. <laughs> there are no such things as those, by the way. <laughs> this is for all of us. All of us who are born again. You've received an anointing from God that the Holy Spirit will teach you. And he even says, you have no need for man to teach you. And what's he mean by that? He doesn't mean like principles and Teaching from Scripture. No, there are people literally with the gift of teaching. Literally. So he doesn't mean don't listen to people teach. That's not the point. He's saying you don't have to have to have somebody teach you how to hear from the Lord. I don't have to go to somebody more spiritual than me and say, was that God or was that not God? Now you can seek counsel and say, as Proverbs says, there's safety in a multitude of counselors, but you're not dependent on someone else to tell you, that's God, that's not God. He says, you have no need for man to teach you, for the Holy Spirit will teach you. And do you know what the key word in that text is? Teach. I know for me, listen, I've grown very comfortable in my own skin with the Lord. That if I think I hear from God and I get a little off track, you know what? God has a way of getting me right back on track. He's teaching me. I'm learning. There are so many mistakes that I've made as a pastor where, oh, I thought it was God. And you know what? It was really just a good idea. It wasn't God. Is God condemning me? Is he angry at me? No. He has a way of getting me right back on track. And so he does you, right? Sometimes you just have to step out in faith. Sometimes you have to say, and, and, and let me tell you what I've learned in my own life. I've learned that, when God really calls me to something, there's two things that I filter when I feel out God's call. Take, for example, this massive First John project. When God spoke to me and said, I want you to do it every month. Don't miss a month. $3,700 a month. That's going to be over $40,000 in addition for the year and do it by the 21st. I knew the voice of God, but boy, I tried to wiggle out of it because that, because I said, God. So, so here's two things that I'll filter to see if it's my own desire. Because I do want to do it. Don't mistake me now. But I don't want to fail either. It's scary. It may. It may what, what, if, what if it don't work? And two things I filter. Number one. Is this the Lord telling me? Uh, okay. Well, why would Satan tell me to translate the Bible? He's not going to tell me to do that. right? Okay, well, what if it's my own desires? Well, you know what a beautiful thing is? This is part of the Holy Spirit's anointing teaching you. You know what a beautiful thing is? Is when your desires become God's desires. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Amen? For thine is the kingdom of God, right? Isn't that how the Lord taught us to pray? That thy will be done on where? On earth as it is in. When your desires become God's desires. Now that's a beautiful thing. So I'll ask myself, is this my desire? Or ultimately does this line up? I know it's not what Satan's telling me to do. Is it ultimately God's desire? Amen. The second thing that I test you know, I've found that things of me I can easily kind of let go of, and I'm on to the next thing, on to the next project, on to the next dream, on to the next goal. But you know what I've found, church? When something is the Lord, it won't let go of me. I can try to let go of it, but it's got a hold of me. Amen? And, that, and, and you know, I'm so thankful this coming Saturday will be our first broadcast airing in Cincinnati. It will go from Cincinnati to Columbus, Ohio, down to Kentucky, down to southern Indiana. And an opportunity came to me about a month ago for Cincinnati, and it was outrageous. And I hated to walk away from it, but I didn't sense like the money aspect was right. I felt like it was too expensive, but it would not let go of me. I knew God was directing my heart Cincinnati. I just knew it. I knew it with every fiber in me, but the math didn't make sense and I just, I was conflicted and I didn't know what the will of God was. I sought counsel. I took over a month to think about it and pray about it. At the end of the day, I said, Lord, okay, I'm going to pass it up, but if it's you, don't let me miss an opportunity. You show me. Well, I said no to it. The door closed. A couple of weeks later, another group called and here offered me an even better offer for, way, for something that I could literally awaken to grace, wrote one check and paid it in full. Amen? Amen? See, it wouldn't let go of me. See what I'm saying? I tried to let go of it, but it wouldn't let go of me. So if you're trying to discern the voice of God and you're trying to know, is it just me or is it God's will? Well, put this test to it. Is it God's desire? Are your your desires intertwined with his? Is your will becoming his will? And secondly, will it let go of you? Or can you let go of it? That's how I try to discern it out in my own life. Scripture says that we may understand what the will of God is. That's in Ephesians 5, that we may understand, I think verse 17, 18, that we may understand or discern what the will of God is. Psalm 103, the Bible says that Israel knew the acts of God, Moses knew the ways of God. In other words, Israel knew what God was doing, Moses understood why God was doing it. Whatever God's telling you to do, God wants you to know the why behind it, and He'll tell it to you. You just need to seek Him, and uh, who knows? God may send you to jail, just like Danny Thompson. Amen.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. Hey, Pastor Tad, it's 11:51. We got time for one more question.
0: Next Uh, question. That's a yes. Oh, you're asking asking me? I thought you were asking Daryl. I apologize. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Daryl. Well, I tell you what. Let's close it there. And uh, the ra- how, many, how many did I not get to? There's just one more. Okay. On
2: our list that we were going to try to make sure we tackled today. Just oh, one but more. there
0: was still a whole
2: lot. More. Oh, there's still nine more on here, but we can do one more. We'll do a pot. You got one more, right? One more. One more. All
1: right. Next question Are we saved by just grace or are works involved?
2: Yes. All right. Have a great day. No, I'm kidding.
0: If you'll give me 45 minutes, we'll explain this one.
2: Perfect. My my simple answer to this is yes, because we are saved by grace through faith, right? It's what Ephesians says. But to take a step further, when you go look at at an apple tree, what do you expect to get? Apples. So works come after salvation. It's because (laughs) of salvation, and in Luke chapter 6, verse 44, it says a tree will be known by its fruits. So you as a Christian will be known by your actions. And that's just my easy
0: answer. Yeah. yeah, you know, I grew up in a church culture where works was almost a curse word because you can't get saved through good works. I, gr- I grew up with that uh, just beat into my head. And it's true, you can't. Uh, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's not by our own works. It's by grace through faith. But then as I grew in the Lord, I came across scriptures that taught we're to be rich in good works, we're to be zealous over good works. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, you created in Christ before the foundations of the earth for to walk in good works. And I kept encountering all these good works scriptures that we ought to desire good works. And there was a conflict in me because I was taught good works are bad. And anybody that pursues good works, pursuing bad things. Yet Jesus said, how do we glorify God? When men see your good works. So how do you reconcile that? And my spiritual hero growing up reading his books was Warren Wearsby. And Warren Wearsby used to wonderfully say, he's home with the Lord now. But he used to wonderfully say, you are not saved from good works. You are saved To do good works. Amen. It's not the foundation of our salvation. But it is the result of our salvation. And see, that's confusing to believers. I'll go ahead and start to stand up because I'll keep talking. That's confusing (laughs) to believers. Why? Because one day you and I are going to stand before the Bema judgment seat of Christ. And what's God going to judge? Our works. He'll judge it by fire. If it's hay, wood, stubble, it'll be consumed. We'll have nothing to show for it. If it's gold, silver, precious stone, then it'll be tried by fire and it'll be found praiseworthy and we'll have something to give to Jesus. See, you're not saved because of them, but because of salvation, you ought to be engaged in them. You don't want to get to heaven and have nothing to offer for so great a salvation that Jesus has given you. Amen. Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. awakentograce.com slash store.